In life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. How many are thankful that there is no guilt in this life? How many are thankful that there is no fear in death? You know, the book of Romans, in the book of Romans, the first three chapters talk about how we are all guilty before our God. How if our God was the judge, jury, and the executioner, and if you were to stand before him, how many of us can say we would survive? I cannot say that I would survive. And yet, in Romans 8, it says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. No condemnation. There is no guilt in this life for those who are in Christ. Amen? We're going to learn a little bit more about that Christ today and about that great God this morning. My name is Roger. I have the honor of bringing you the word of God this morning. If you please turn in your Bibles to Psalm 5, the fifth Psalm. We're continuing our series in the exposition of Psalms. Today we'll be in Psalm 5. This beautiful song. The title of my sermon today is Don't Make Yourself at Home. Don't Make Yourself at Home. This title is taken uh, from a cliche or a phrase that you might hear when you first go to somebody's house. And they say, please, come in. Make yourself at home. I hate this phrase. First of all, the phrase makes no sense. I cannot make myself at home if I just come to your house. I don't know where any of your stuff is. And even if I did know where any of your stuff is, that doesn't mean you want me touching it in the way that I would be touching it if I was at my house. See, the problem with this phrase, make yourself at home, is it implies I'm the one that calls all the shots. I'm the one that makes the rules. And if you go to somebody's house for the first time and you make yourself at home, you make all the rules. You call all the shots. That's a great way to get kicked out of somebody's house. I thought I'd get an amen on that. Man. Fortunately, God is not like that. God is clear in his expectations on who can stay in his home and who gets the boot. You see, in, uh, in Old Testament poetry and wisdom literature, there are different ways for, for God to describe the wicked and the righteous, the good and the bad. There's, there's, there's the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked. We see that in Psalm 1. There's the lady of wisdom and the lady of folly that we see in Proverbs 7 and Proverbs 31. But another interesting parallel that he makes is, is those who can stay in God's house, what they look like, what they act like, and those who got to go. And Psalm 5 clearly lays out who God allows to stay and who God says, it's time for you to go. So we're going to learn about what God expects of us today. We're going to learn about what is right and what is wrong today. But most importantly, we are going to learn about the character of our God this morning. And that's the most important thing that we're going to grasp is who is God from this text. So won't you pray with me before we dive in? Father God, sanctify us in your word, because your word is truth. In Jesus' holy and authoritative name, amen. Before we begin, let's read Psalm 5 together. 
It starts off like this. For the choir director to be played with some flutes, a psalm of David. This means that it's actually a song that's supposed to be sung in church. Just remember that for later. It's going to come back. It's going to be important. Verse 1. I won't stop every time, by the way. Verse 1. Listen to my words, Lord. Consider my sighing. No, pay attention to the sound of my cry, for you are my king and my God, and to you I pray. In the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I plead my case to you, and I watch expectantly, because I know you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil cannot dwell with you. The boastful cannot stand in your sight. You hate all the evildoers. You destroy those who tell lies. The Lord abhors violent and treacherous people. But I enter your house by the abundance of your faithful love. I bow down toward your holy temple in reverential awe of you. So, Lord, lead me in your righteousness Because of my adversaries, make your way straight before me, for there is nothing reliable in what they say. Destruction is within them. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongues. Punish them, God. Let them fall by their own schemes. Drive them out because of their many crimes, for they rebel against you. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice Let them shout for joy forever. May you shelter them. And may those who love your name boast or rejoice about you. Because you, Lord, you bless the righteous one. And you surround him with favor. Like a shield. Psalm 5 opens with urgency. Psalm 5 opens with a loud knock, a loud, repetitive knock. David is calling on the name of the Lord, and he does so several times, three times to be exact. And each time he calls on the name of the Lord, the knock gets louder. Each time he calls on the name of the Lord, it gets more and more intense. Just look at the words, how it says, listen to my words, Lord. So the first thing, open your ears. Just, just hear me out, God. But the second time David comes, he says, consider my sighing. He says, Lord, see that I'm weeping. See that I'm crying. And consider, think about my position. And then the last, he knocks even louder. He says, Lord, pay attention to the sound of my cry. Because you are my king and my God. And I pray to you. Pay attention to the sound of my cry. It's, this, it's the same intensity that I experienced at my house just a few weeks ago. It was 6.30 in the morning. And Cherith and I heard a sound from downstairs. We don't have a doorbell. We have one of those houses that were like made in like 1402, was it? So we don't have a doorbell yet. We're working on that. Pray for us. So when somebody knocks on our door, it can sound like a squirrel. Um, just about anything. But we hear this sound and we wake up going, I have no idea what that is. So we keep thinking about it and we keep hearing it over and over again. And then we realize somebody's at our door. And so I jump up feeling terrible that somebody's been knocking on our door for this long. And I run down the stairs at 630 in the morning and I see a young man by the name of Nasir Parks. <laughs> Did you know I was going to say that? 
<laughs> Knocking on my door. He had to get something from our house. And he knew I'd be home because I told him I'd be home. And he knew I had the thing that I was going to give him because I told him I had the thing I was going to give him. And he knew that if I was going to answer the door, I would be able to give him the thing I was going to give him because I had it. And so correctly, Nasir Parks continues to knock on my door repeatedly and repeatedly because he knew, getting louder and louder, I might add, by the way, and I thank you for that. He did it correctly because he knew if I would only come to the door, like I promised that I would, I would give him the thing that I promised I would give him because I had what he needed in the same way David knocks on the door of heaven because he knows the Father is home. And he knows the Father has what he needs And he knows that if the father will answer the door, he will give it to him. And so I say to you, first and foremost this morning, do not be afraid to knock on the door of heaven for what God has promised to deliver. So what has God promised to deliver? Well, this text will say very explicitly what David is referring to. But just as a side note, we know the promises of God. And that's why it's an encouragement to learn this word, learn what God has promised so you can pray correctly and you can rightly go to his door and knock and call on his name. You say, Roger, be more practical than that. Learn the covenants, the Noahic covenant, the Mosaic covenant, the Abrahamic covenant. See what God has promised all throughout scripture. You say, Roger, be more practical than that. And Jesus told his disciples to pray then in this way. Our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Know the promises of God and pray them to him. Urgently seek them every day. But David not only knocks, he watches and he waits because he knows that God will deliver what he promises. Look at the next verse. In the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I plead my case to you, and I watch expectantly. This verb, to watch expectantly, when it's used as a noun, it's used for a watchman. It's someone whose literal job is to look out and see what is going on. And so David says, Lord, not only do I knock Not only do I call on your name, but I'm going to watch like it's my job for you to deliver on what you promised. That's how confident David is that the Lord will deliver on his word. So what is it? What does David see? What is David coming to the the, the door of heaven and knocking so hard for? What does he want? Well, we see that in the next verse. He says, he gets sneaky here. He says, for you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil cannot dwell with you. He goes to God and says, God, we know your character. You cannot delight in wickedness. No evil can dwell with you. No evil can live in your house. So what is David saying? He's saying, I'm seeing some things in your house that I know you don't like. And it's time for you to clean your house. It's a scary thought. And so exactly, exactly who's there, though? Exactly what are we talking about here? It says evil and wickedness and a very beautiful poetic nature. Well, David conveniently goes on to list those things. It's just like when it says uh, six things the Lord hates, seven are abomination. And then he goes ahead and lists those. It's like, oh, okay, I'm going to see myself in here, aren't I? (laughs) Same thing happens here. Evil cannot live with you. And here's what that evil looks like. 
the first. The boastful cannot stand in your sight. The word to boast in Hebrew is halal or halal. And it literally means to shout, to praise, to proclaim. We usually hear this word when we say the word hallelujah. Hallelujah, shout, praise, proclaim, yah, Yahweh. Shout, praise, proclaim, Yahweh. But when it's used as a noun, it's just boastful, then who's the subject? The subject is me. So it's I am shouting, I am rejoicing, I am praising my name. So the imagery here, if evil cannot dwell with you, then, then this is somebody who's living in God's room and thinks they pay the mortgage. Mm-mm. God has no room for moochers and squatters in his house. And he's going to clean house. That word boast, though, Jeremiah picks up on it as well when he says, if you're going to boast, boast in the Lord. He says, not, let not the wise boast in their wisdom. Let not the strong boast in their strength and let not the rich boast in their riches. But if they are going to boast, let them boast in the glory of the Lord. Why? Because we know that we are not wise, strong, and rich or anything else, righteous, whatever you want to put in there. We are not that on our own. We did not get there on our own. We are there because of the glory and the gifts of what God has given us. And that's why Paul picks up on this again in 1 Corinthians when he says, Corinthians, don't be proud. Not many of you were wise. Not many of you were strong. Not many of you were of noble birth. Or another word would be, not many of you were rich. But God chose you, the weak of the world, so you can demonstrate his strength. Let not the boast boast in anything but the glory of God. If you must boast, boast in the glory of the Lord. We keep moving on. The boastful cannot stand in your sight. You hate all evildoers. The best translation of the word evildoer here would be those who are idolaters. So see the progression here. The first group of people, they think that they are where they are because of themselves. They are shouting and praising their own name because they did it all themselves. The idolaters, it gets a little dirtier here. The idolaters will say, okay, I didn't do it on myself, but I'm going to give credit to just about anything under the sun. And in some cultures, the sun itself, I'm going to give credit to everything except God. God has no room for those who steal glory from him, whether it's you or whether it's whatever you put in front of God. He has no room for that in his house. The next it says, You destroy those who tell lies. A liar in Old Testament understanding is those who bear a false witness. So the idea is here somebody who's in a courtroom and they uh, they're they're trying a murderer. And the person says, I'm going to bear a false witness. I'm going to lie about this. I'm going to say that person wasn't there. And because that person said what they said, they were allowed to go free. God is a God of justice. And he will not let those who pervert justice in his house. And so those who bear a false witness, those who lie, they are not allowed into his kingdom in his house. But you say, well, that's fine for the person that bore a false witness. You know, that that person gets it. But what about the murderer that goes free? God's got that figured out, too. David finishes and says, the Lord abhors the violence. The literal word here is, is the men of blood, the domda amim, the men of blood, or, or, or um, we say the bloodthirsty in our, in our context, and treacherous people. So the person that, that gets that person off for lying, they're done. 
the person that actually got off, their day is coming as well. And so we have this scathing, exhausting, and exhaustive reminder of who God is not allowing in his house. And it's at this point that David turns, and he says something that, if taken on its own, could be the most arrogant-sounding thing you've ever read in Scripture. He uses a word of contrast, a word that, that people will know exactly what it is, is that, that it's, he's talking about these people, but when he says this phrase, ve'ani, it's, but as for me, you go, oh, well, who do you think you are? Remember what I said at the beginning where this was actually a song that was supposed to be sung in church? Can you imagine bringing a visitor and singing this song? It's like, you're going to die, you're going to die, you're going to die. But as for me, your friend probably look at you like, oh, okay. You think you're something, don't you? But David immediately nips that in the bud. He says, but as for me, and he says a phrase that, um, again, if we see it here in English, we may not totally understand the, the severity of it, but any Israelite reading this, any Hebrew reader would have been able to see this clearly. He says, but as for me, I enter your house by the abundance of your faithful love. That phrase is barov chastika. Any Hebrew speaker would have heard that and gone, oh, He's talking about Exodus. See, in Exodus, when the Lord said that he was going to deliver his people into the promised land, when he was going to deliver them all that he promised to give them, he said, I would do it by the abundance or surrounding by my steadfast love. That word, if you've heard the word chesed before, that type of love, you say, well, what is that? It it means something different than the other ways that you could use love in the Old Testament. Specifically, this word for love is a love or an action that's not based on feelings. It's not based on emotions. It's not based on desires. It is based solely and purely on the fact that it was promised to them. And this love says, because I promised it, no matter how I feel today, no matter how I think tomorrow, I will deliver because I promised it to you. And I surrounded you in that promise. You say, well, what is that promise? What is that promise that's let, that, that lets me in your house when I just heard all of these things that, I've I got to be honest, I fall into those categories every now and again. How can I know that I'm going to be in this house? What is this promise? Specifically in Scripture, this is called the New Covenant. But it's laid out beautifully and perfectly in this one verse. For God so loved the world. He loved the world so much that he gave his only son So that those who believe in him, that's the requirement, those who believe in him will not perish. But to them he will say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Welcome home. This love is not based on feelings. It is not based on emotions. It is based on his promise. And that's how David knows that he will enter the house of the Lord. And so he says, I bow down toward your holy temple in reverential awe of you. And he responds in the only way that's really appropriate in this scenario. He says, Lord, lead me in your righteousness. As a result of your promise, as a result of your love, as a result of the grace that you've given to me, lead me in your righteousness. You see, friends, 
righteousness or obedience is not the requirement of God's love, but the response of his love. And if you are not responding in that obedience, I challenge you to think through, do I truly understand this love, this grace that he's been given me? But no, first and foremost, it is not the requirement. It is the response. And he continues, he says, lead me in your righteousness because of my adversaries. Make your way straight before me. And you say, why does he say it? Because of my adversaries, because of my enemies. What, what could they possibly do to me at this point? Why would he be thinking about them? Well, he clarifies it as he goes on throughout the verses. He says, he says exactly why he wants to beware of his enemies. Here he goes. Verse 9, he says, because there is nothing reliable in what they say. Destruction is within them. Their throat ugh, is an open grave, and they flatter with their tongues. Words. Words are what David fears here. Words are the things that David wants to stay away from because he knows that the influence of those around him could lead to his destruction. Think back to the Garden of Eden. It was just words that got Adam and Eve kicked out of God's house. It was when Satan came with his words and said, words of flattery. Don't you want to be like God? Did God really say this? And because they believed him, because they wanted the things that he said, they got it. They got to be like God. They had the choice to choose between good and evil. But we know that with a heart of sin, that's not something we truly want. We'd rather our God to be our judge. We'd rather our God to be our guide. And so just because we are living in, in today, it's now age, just because we have friends that are around us, they're not all believers. You know, they don't all want the best for us. They, some of them want to bring us down. Just let me put it this way. Just because your friends or your roommates have legs doesn't mean they're not a snake. You see, Satan is the father of lies. And he's gotten himself into some people. And we need to be watchful of their influence over us. We need to pray for them too. We need to love them. We need to rejoice in the day that the Lord may save them as well. But David wants to be wary of them. He says, drive them out because of their many crimes, for they rebel against you. Verse 10, at the beginning of it, sorry. Punish them, God. Let them fall by their own schemes. Drive them out because of their many cries, for they rebel against you. And know that just as Satan's words got Adam and Eve kicked out of the Garden of Eden, one day the Lord will return and he will punish Satan in the same way and he will kick Satan and all of his followers out of his house. And glory be that day when he washes them away for his glory. And so David responds one more time, again, focusing inward, focusing on his people, and he said, but let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them shout with joy forever. May you shelter them and let those who love your name boast or literally rejoice in you. Joy is mentioned three times here. Just as David called out to the Lord at the beginning of the Psalms, three times calling on God, saying, God, respond to me. Just as he called three times at the end of the Psalm, all he can do is say, and I rejoice and I rejoice and I rejoice because I know because I know you will do it. For you, Lord, you bless. That word, 
I know we like to use that word a lot sometimes. We like to, you know, hashtag blessed. We say it for every little thing, and that's fine. I do it too. It just means that we're thankful. Every little thing that comes into our life, we say, that's a blessing. I'm blessed. That's fine. I'm not criticizing that. I just want to deepen our understanding of that word a little bit more. The first time the word blessed is used is in Genesis 1, when he went to Adam and Eve, and he blessed them, and he said, be fruitful, multiply, Fill the earth with my glory. That blessing was a signal that I'm giving you my permission to go and spread my glory all throughout the face of this earth. So that the kingdom of the Lord and the earth are the same and all who are in the earth will love and worship his name forever. That's a beautiful thing. But sin happened. And curse came into the world, and every person after that was was trying to bring about that blessing once more. That's why God said to Noah in Genesis 9, and he blessed him, and he gave him the same command, be fruitful and multiply. But Noah proved to be a sinner, just like the rest. Abraham was given the same command. He blessed him, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth with my glory. But he proved to be a sinner, just like before. No man that came before, no nation, as he gave the command to Israel, was able to fulfill that blessing to the earth. No one was truly righteous. And that's why it's a little curious then when in this next phrase, David says, for you, Lord, bless the righteous one. I thought we weren't able to be good on our own. I thought we weren't supposed to rely on our, on our wisdom and our strength and our money and, our, and, and just and our righteousness in general because we're all sinners. All have fallen short of, of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. Has David lost his mind? Has David forgotten what he said before? Now he's telling us we're supposed to rely on our own righteousness? David says immediately after that he has not forgotten what he said before. Look at the wording here. For you, Lord, bless the righteous one. You surround him. Where have you heard that word before? Just a few verses before when he's talking about the steadfast love of the Lord, surrounded by the steadfast love. Again, he reminds them, we may not be righteous, but we will be blessed because we are surrounded. Surrounded by what? Surrounded with favor. Another word for favor is grace. Grace is a gift we didn't deserve. Surround him with a grace. You surround us with your grace that we don't deserve, just like a shield. Now, the reason it says that you're surrounded by this shield is because in the uh, ancient history, a shield was not this circular thing that goes over your forearm that you fight with like this. This is not how you actually fight with a shield, just in case... You ever get yourself in a situation where you need to fight with a shield? This is not how you do it. But I got this microphone and stuff. In ancient history, a shield was actually a large plank that would go like this. So that when you were behind this shield and you ran out into battle, nothing could come against you. But because you got this big old shield surrounding you. That's the grace of God. In fact, back in those days, they would have these arrows that they would put fire on the end of them. So have you ever heard the fiery darts in the Bible? This was literal stuff here. We put fire on the end of them, and they would shoot and try to hit the shield, and maybe the shield can get on fire. So what did they do? They dipped the shield in water. So now nothing could come against you. Nothing could stand against you because you were surrounded by this incredible, unable-to-be-penetrated shield. Epiphany Church, 
That shield is the body of Jesus Christ. Come on. That shield is the body of Jesus Christ. And he is not dipped in water, but he is dipped in his blood. Because there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And when sinners can plunge beneath that flood, they lose all their guilty stains. That's why it says in verse John 2, if any of us do sin, we have an advocate with God the Father. Who? Jesus Christ, the righteous one. So we are blessed. Not because we are the righteous one, but because we are in the righteous one. And that's why Ephesians 1 said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing, because he has chosen us in his Son. Be in his Son. Be in his Son and be welcomed home. Let's pray. Wonderful in the matchless grace of Jesus, deeper than a mighty rolling sea, higher than a mountain sparkling like a fountain, all sufficient grace for even me, broader than the scope of my transgressions, greater far than all my sin and shame. Magnify the precious name of Jesus. Praise his name. Father, put us in your son. Father, put all of our trust in your son because we can't do it on our own. And if there's anyone here this morning who knows that they don't have the wisdom or the strength or the finances or the righteousness to measure up to the glory of God just like any of us can't. If there's anyone here that knows they can't measure up to your glory, but they want to be welcomed home. We ask that you would just step in the back. There'll be people to speak with there. We would love to talk with you just a little bit more about the grace of Jesus Christ, who says, I don't care what your financial situation is. I don't care how smart you are. I don't care how strong you are. I already paid the price. And I want you to come home with me. If there's anyone like that this morning. Would you please step in the back? Father, once again, we thank you for your grace. We come knocking on the door of heaven, praying that you will open the door and receive and give us what you have promised. We wait and we watch expectantly, knowing that it may not be today and it may not be tomorrow, but one day you will make all things right. You will make all things good. All things are working together for good we love you. Let us respond in obedience. Let us respond with thankfulness, first and foremost, in your precious and holy name.